Hello and welcome to the second season of the School Safety News Podcast. I'm Amanda Klinger. And I'm Dr. Amy Klinger. And we are with the Educators School Safety Network. Uh, we are a nonprofit organization and we provide school safety training and resources and technical assistance to schools. And one of the things that we do as resources is this podcast where we talk a little bit about school safety in the news and we try to have a little bit of takeaways of uh, what does that mean and what does that look like moving forward. And our school safety news podcast has been a little bit spotty on and off uh, since everything ha- that occurred in the spring of 2018 at Parkland. Um, and But I think it's really important for us to have this sort of opportunity to kind of talk to you a little bit about what we see happening um, in the, the world of school safety, um, both in events, but also in trends and emerging issues. Um, as you may know, we do have a more lighthearted, uh, topical version of school safety, our school safety free period. And that's really um, not necessarily tied to direct current events. But this one, we want to talk about some current events and really hopefully have a few takeaways as well. So I have a couple of things, um, and usually we each have something, um, but this particular time, I think I'm the one that has some stuff. So I'm just going to run through it. We are here in mid-September of the 2018-19 school year, and unfortunately, things don't seem to be much different than what we were seeing last year at this time. In 2017, by the end of September, we had had several school shootings and a number of of fatalities. In just the last week or so, um, we have had a fatality in a shooting in Las Vegas. In this particular one, an 18-year-old was shot and killed after an altercation immediately after school. And that raises the specter of what do we do after school when we have you know, in this particular case, they estimated there were about 500 people on the grounds. And how do we secure them after school? And who's in charge? And what are our after school protocols? So that one is one that I think maybe is a little bit of a lesson there or takeaway for us. And we see in our work that, you know, the problem of after school is not just a active shooter problem. We see especially with weather events and you see schools where the the school's facility is being used after hours by clubs and groups and sports and the question that you raised of who's in charge, do people know what it, what is the emergency operations plan? We see a lot of communication failures and so the the concern of after hours is not about active shooter. It's about safety generally. That is a very uh, a very very vulnerable time. And then taking into the same, or staying in the same vein of an after hours, um, there was another incident last week in the south side of Chicago where three students were shot outside on their way home, immediately outside of school, not on school grounds, um, but as part of the gun violent epidemic that is really happening in some areas in Chicago. These three students were shot outside of the school, but they went back to school because of their training of knowing to shelter in place and to lock down. Um, Again, it was after school, but they retreated back into the school um, and all three of them had pretty significant injuries. So that sort of speaks to, again, that after school notion of that may be an event that you didn't even have any, you know, connection to, but you may find yourself responding to that because we have to provide a safe haven for our, our students. Our students need to know that we are prepared to help them and to keep them safe. So there was that one. We also, uh, there also was a, a stabbing in where a student was killed in a Detroit school. 
Um, I bring that up for two reasons. Number one, we have to, again, think beyond active shooter all the time. Mm-hmm. And number two, Michigan was one was our number one state of concern in the 17-18 school year in terms of both violent incidents and threats in our overall aggregate of, of looking at per capita and actual incidents or actual numbers. So Michigan, again, rises to the top there, unfortunately. And then last in this little vein here, a shooting at a school in the Netherlands, which is quite unusual. Um, a 16-year-old that came into the school and there were shots fired both inside and outside of the school. Um, it was interesting that the response coming back from in subsequent days was that the student would not be allowed to return to school. No kidding. <laughs> so I, you know, it was interesting to see. The, it doesn't look like there's going to be, I don't know how, what the extent of the criminal charges will be. So that's kind of an interesting different view than we've seen in terms of handling that. And then we also have seen an, a couple of articles I've been seeing about school sentinels a school sentinel program in North Dakota in South Dakota and some other states that is has a very heavy emphasis on arming um, teachers and most specifically I believe in the sentinels program arming security officers and law enforcement or quasi law enforcement officials so the discussion about arming teachers has not gone away mm-hmm. and um, about that heavy law enforcement presence has not gone away I mean, we discussed that in another podcast, other podcast as well. But interestingly, one of the things that has come out in these is a discussion about insurance carriers saying we will not insure if you have, you know, non-law enforcement folks carrying. Mm-hmm. So there's certainly insurance concerns there. Well, and I get that. I think as a, I'm an attorney by training, and I think you know the liability of arming your non-law enforcement staff is astronomical. We saw last school year a number of accidental discharges of firearms by law enforcement personnel. In schools. In schools, and also of non-law enforcement personnel in schools. So the the utilitarian calculus uh, of that is just really not on the side of, um, from, a, from a liability or from an insurance perspective, the utilitarian calculus does not come out in favor of Which is really teachers. not in any way a gun control or a pro-gun or anti-gun argument. It's just a pragmatic view of mm-hmm. what's effective and what can actually accomplish what it is you're trying to accomplish. Sure, and I think more overarchingly, if there were no other things that we could do to work to prevent violence in schools or to respond to violence in schools, then I I guess we need to have a serious conversation about adding more guns to this equation uh, in our schools. But there are so many other things that we can do that that are based in evidence, that are based in best practices. And I think, moreover, you know, you, you did mention and highlight a couple of shootings that happened on campus or near campus but we know that these events are fundamentally statistically rare, and we know that there are other types of school safety concerns that happen with much more frequency. And arming teachers will not help me if I have a student who goes into anaphylactic shock in the cafeteria and we don't know where the EpiPen is. So we need to make sure that we are, uh, again, beating that drum of a comprehensive all-hazards approach to school safety. So then shifting gears to the other thing that we want to real quickly cover um, is really sort of um, not talking about actual incidents, but in the news in terms of some of the unintended consequences of some of our efforts uh, for school safety. Um, And one in particular that caught my eye was an article about um, resuming school in Parkland, Florida at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. Um, And in the roughly 30 days that they've been back in school, um, they have had one code red 
active shooter drill We're and it is being called a code red oh, yes. and i don't know if that's a problem with reporting or what but clearly there's an issue with using codes right um they have had one code red active shooter drill two fire drills and five false alarm drills or where the false where the the fire drill has activated falsely five times three of those five times students pulled it and the other two were mechanical issues and the article was talking about the trauma yeah. of students if you recall the fire alarm was mm -hmm. certainly a major part of the trauma and of, of the event of mm -hmm. the fire alarm going off people spilling into the hallways and becoming victimized um and so i think that's you know the the, the article talks about the trauma of these kids who are returning and you know is it really necessary to do all of this and they are scheduled to do 10 code red drills and 10 fire drills this school year so if you take that into account so you have 20 different times in addition to all of these other ones that are you know false alarms and that sort of thing so it really kind of speaks to the the struggle that um, they're going through in terms of recovery. Um, how are you sensitive to the trauma that these kids have gone through, but yet how do you balance in the competing concerns of parents and, and people saying, we want drills, we wanna be prepared, we don't wanna ever have this happen to us again. And so it really sort of speaks to that, that dilemma of, of you know, how, do you, how, how do you do both of those things? And, yeah. and you, can't, you can't postpone recovery in the, under the guise of we just need to have a million drills. Yeah, uh, I, I would certainly make sure that, you know, anything that we're, we're doing, um, we're making sure is this what's best for students. And I would, I would wonder um, how, what was the determination that having that many drills and, and having all of that was what was best for students. Yeah, so, and, and that's, and that might be, because it sounds to me like that's something that if we say, we can say, well, we did 10 drills and we did 10 this, that that might make the adults feel better and that we can, say that that's what we did and we can write that down but i i that doesn't sound to me uh a very compelling case of this is what's best for students well and i think and again we're not involved and so i don't want to be overly harsh but i think it does speak a little bit to are we taking a very heavily a heavy emergency response perspective on this in terms of we're going to drill if we drill this enough we're going to drill and drill and drill but are we also dealing with some of the climate and culture issues inherent in having three different times where students are pulling the fire alarm yeah. um, and where we have the recovery piece of the trauma to kids and the anxiety and fear that's being raised every time that fire alarm goes off. Mm -hmm. So this is, uh, I think this sort of shows that you have two disparate points of view that mm -hmm. need to coexist and need to be done effectively because mm -hmm. you can't just do one and ignore the other. Yeah. And so I think that's a little bit of a lesson and takeaway. And then related to that, there also have been a couple of other school districts where they have gotten, in my opinion, rather overzealous with their active shooter drills after mm -hmm. Parkland um, in the fall um, to the point where we're firing blanks so the kids know what gunfire sounds like. And you know, you have an, uh, a number of parents who understandably and probably justifiably, we have parents that are feeling that that's what they, they don't want their kids exposed to that. And so the schools, I think the response has been to keep the kids home. Well, then they don't have the practice. Right. And so it's it, the one in particular, they were going to show the students a PowerPoint and then they were going to have this drill with shooting the blanks and so on. So I think it really speaks to, again, 
coming to some sort of common sense um, vision of safety preparation and crisis response practice mm -hmm. that is respectful of not traumatizing students, mm -hmm. but yet making sure that we have provided adequate preparation and drilling and exercising and for people to understand what we're trying to accomplish. Mm -hmm. So that again speaks to that, how do we get to that sweet spot in the middle? Yeah, I think, you know, I think shifting the way that we look at it, that we're trying to build skills and we're trying to build capacity in students. I don't think we need to really undertake anything to try to scare people straight on this. You know, folks are scared, um, especially after a year like last year. Students, there's anxiety around this issue. Absolutely. Staff, there's anxiety around this issue. So I think that we need to make sure that what we're doing is we're trying to accomplish building skills and capacity in people and, and getting people prepared. And there's absolutely ways that you can do that that is not scary, does not cause anxiety and fear. Well, and in our conversations with a lot of law enforcement folks, there seems to not be a lot of consistent agreement in the law enforcement community of whether that even, whether you can even replicate that. Yeah. Because when you're going to fire blanks in one location, it's going to sound different. Mm -hmm. And so unless you're going to fire blanks all the time, full time in every location of the school, it's not really, I, I don't think there's a lot of universal agreement that that's even going to make a difference. Um, and so I would say at that point, in a cost-benefit analysis, I'm not sure that the, that the benefit um, is there. Yeah. So, yeah so. so those are two issues to kind of start us off on this particular school year. Um, this, the point of the School Safety News podcast um, is to keep you current on what's happening in this area and hopefully provide a little bit of insight and context as well as maybe a few takeaways. So there you have it. You can find our other podcast, the School Safety Free Period podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. We always ask that you do rate and review and subscribe. That really helps uh, get this, this podcast and some of our other work in front of the ears of other folks who might be interested in listening to it. If you have anything else that we missed that you want us to talk about, you can always email us info at eschoolsafety.org. Also, if you're looking for resources, we have tons of free resources. We have tons of free resources available on our website, which is www.eschoolsafety.org, and uh, we're always looking forward to hearing from you. Thanks.